The following podcast is a proud member of the Blue Collar Roots Network. Find all the shows by visiting bluecollarroots.com. And now, the man who takes the BS out of BS, Bill Spone. Welcome back to another episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast. It's our goal here to create better, more knowledgeable HVAC and building performance technicians by helping the two professions better understand each other with the ultimate goal of making customers happy in the homes they live in and the buildings they work in. I'm your host, Bill Spone. I've been working in these markets for over 30 years. I've noticed the need for scientifically rooted information on how to do a technical job correctly. So this information is either not being taught or not easily accessible, but things are getting better. So this results with many technicians leaving a job with doubts in their mind or a bad feeling what could go wrong because of something they missed. So these are some of the reasons why I started the Building HVAC Science podcast. Years ago, if someone said to me, I'm building a net zero home, I would have thought, amongst other things, what are they giving up to do so? Let's fast forward to 2021. In addition to me living in a prospective net zero home, check out the other episodes of this podcast where you learn more about that. There are now several national net zero competitions, including ones with utilities, raters, builders, and homeowners working together to raise public awareness of this accelerating trend showcasing the benefits of building beyond code requirements. On this episode, please join us to hear Adam Nyborg of Tilia Restoration, the builder, and Joe Rando, a senior engineering assistant and a HERS raider with GDS Associates. They're going to describe the drive to net zero competition in New Hampshire. We'll learn about the guest background as well as get up to speed on details of the 2019 winning design, the process, and the competition. If anyone is more interested in considering this in their area, Mike Lockflin from Eversource, the utility that sponsored the 2019 winner, offers his contact info for anyone considering developing such a program in their area. His email address is in the show notes. And there's also a link to a blog post about the winning design in this competition for 2019. And you can learn more about that and some of the other aspects of this program. Please note this episode was recorded in January of 2021. Now let's listen in as Joe and Adam give us a description of the Net Zero Home Challenge. Very pleased today to have actually a repeat guest, but a crossover guest from my other podcast with Res Talk. That would be Joe Rando. And also he's joined by Adam Nybor. Joe, Adam, in that order, introduce yourselves, please. Hi, I'm Joe Rando. I'm the technical supervisor for GDS Associates. We are a multi-service engineering company with locations throughout the United States. I'm based in the Manchester, New Hampshire office, where we focus primarily on residential, commercial, and industrial energy consulting services. And in my reasoning for being here today is high-performance homes and the Energy Star Homes program that is supported by the New Hampshire Utility Program. Perfect. Adam. Hello. My name's Adam Nyborg. I run a small design build company in Franconia, New Hampshire. We typically build one to three houses a year, depending on the size of the house in question. Partner closely with people on the design, and it's been great work and a great life up here. I have a background teaching sustainability, teaching environmental science at the high school or college level, and got back into building. I've been doing it on and off all my life, but the last five to 10 years, been doing this full on. Very good. So that begs the question. It sounds like Joe is definitely oriented this way 24-7. That's what he does. Adam, is that do you mostly build or only build high-performance houses? I guess only build high-performance houses. I suppose that's not entirely true. Sometimes when we do a renovation, we are getting it to 
good performance from terrible performance. And we've done a few of those over the years. Got it. What brought us together, and I think Joe alluded to that, was the utility-based program. I believe it's called the Net Zero Challenge. Joe, why don't you tell us a little background about that? Yeah. So this is the third, if not fourth year, I think 2021 will be the fourth year of a program that derived in conjunction with the four utilities in New Hampshire, which have been sponsoring an Energy Star certified program that they wanted to grow and build on, which sparked this net zero challenge program. It does have a prerequisite that the homes entering this program have been certified through Energy Star, but they are looking for the highest performing buildings in New Hampshire. So those that have a robust building envelope have added some sort of renewable energy, whether that be wind, solar, and then utilize high performance mechanical systems. And it is a judged program following five criteria. The first being the HERS index prior to renewable energy being added, the post HERS index with renewables included, the annual net operating cost, the cost per square foot of the project with the land excluded, and then those are all fairly objective. We can track those based off the numbers, but there's a fifth and final subjective category, which is technical innovation. What things did you do on this project that maybe we aren't seeing from other builders or other projects in the program? And that uses a panel of individuals, everyone from Dean Gamble, who runs the EPA Energy Stars Home Program. We have a local professor from a community college, which teaches building science. The president of the New Hampshire Home Builders is part of it. So we have a real wide variety of individuals who are judging this program. And it rebates or in those who have the highest performing buildings in the state and recognizes them through a video and some showcasing. They really want to highlight those who are going above and beyond. And that's what the program is. Very good. So in Adam's here, because he's not just the builder who likes to do podcasts, he's here because he's a, a builder that was involved with the award-winning home last year. Is that true, Adam? We got the first place last year. We were excited about that. Fantastic. Can you tell us a little bit about the house, maybe about the owners, what the driving forces were? Yeah. Well, funny you put all those words in the same question. I, the owners were the driving force when they came into the project. They knew they wanted that kind of performance. They had read a lot of Green Building Advisor. They had learned all kinds of things on the internet, enough to be dangerous to their contractor, as Bill mentioned in the conversation before the podcast. <laughs> but Honestly, that's the dream customer because then you know the budget is there, which isn't really a very high budget needed to add the kind of features we're talking about, but they're certainly willing to spend that. And what we end up telling people a lot is if you can afford a granite countertop, you can afford a net zero home. They're not huge additions to the bottom line, particularly when you look at, at operating costs. So anyway, we had wonderful customers. They drove it that direction, wanted to be not necessarily involved in the design, but very aware of the design. So when we would draw up a building detail of here's the double stud wall and here's where the air barrier is going to be, John, he'd want to see it. He'd want to talk about it and understand that. And that was fun to have that level in the project too. So the owners came primed and ready with information and maybe thought processes and, and things they've been exposed to through their own research, which made the job easier for you? Yes. And increasingly that's the niche that my business has found. You build one or two of those as a, a contractor or a designer and people see it and hear about it and they come looking for that kind of house, which is great. It lets us keep building the high quality details that we know work and perform well. And that's been exciting. But that process has, has taken years for sure. 
sure to get to the point to do this. How long did it take from the standpoint of where the owners came to you, I assume, to the date they moved in, just roughly? I'll probably misremember on this particular one, but our typical, and I think this went for John and Barbara, is they're talking to me about a year and a half to two years before completion. And we spend about five or six months batting design ideas around, getting them in the queue for the project we're going to do next, making sure we have a budget that meets their needs. Once we kind of say go and we're really designing a building, not designing a floor plan, that's easy, but how we're going to put everything together, that's a nine to 12 month process for our team usually, which is to say we're in the, that may terrify a lot of listeners of the podcast. (laughs) We're in the sort of custom deluxe end of the market and I hire two or three people. So I, I know it can be done a lot faster than that. We're also in a small town. So that's just kind of our model, but I don't think that's driven by it being a net zero home. That's driven by it being a fully custom home with a lot of involvement of the owners in the design in a small town like Franconia. Right. It's not a catalog house by any means. Right. So our listeners always like to hear technical details, I think. At least they tell me that. So I'm going to flip it over to Joe and have him give us some of sort of the specs on the house, like the blower door score, the different features and facets about the construction. And I'll I'll come back around to Adam to fill in some things. But Joe, take it. I don't know who first coined this term, but I think it's called the pretty good house. The R20 slab, the R40 wall, and the R60 ceiling. So by pairing that robust envelope from a thermal perspective with an airtight building shell, the things that you put inside of it matter less. Fortunately, we worked on a project where everything that went into it was just as efficient as that system. So a very well-insulated slab that's thermally broken from its footing to a double stud wall that includes continuous insulation because of the way that they built it. And then an air sealed and highly insulated attic Paired with triple pane windows oriented to the right direction to maximize solar gain for an existing, a finished concrete slab floor, ductless mini splits specified for a cold climate, the heat pump water heater. So there's some dehumidification and some cooling aspects created by that. Up where this house was built in Franconia, New Hampshire, we have a very low cooling load or cooling degree days, if you will. So Putting in a robust envelope with high-performance electric mechanicals and an adequate ventilation system, this used a heat recovery ventilator, more typical in this type of cold climate area because of the concerns with an ERV about moisture and things like that. We had a fuel summary that we used through the HERS Rating and Energy Star program with a baseline home that generated about 78% reduction on the heating side in KWH, 6% for cooling, but again, we have such a minimal cool load, that's not surprising. And then again, about 77% reduction in the domestic hot water load. So this home is using about 80% less than the standard home in New Hampshire. This reference home, as I referred to it as, is specific for this fuel summary report to homes built in New Hampshire. They had a baseline done on what types of homes are being built throughout the state. And that's our baseline. There is a national baseline for the home energy rating system. And this home ended up coming in at a negative 34 HERS index. So for those that don't know much about it, the HERS index is a, I call it a miles per gallon type of rating system on a score of zero to 100. 100 being a home that was built to about the 2006 building code and a zero, meaning one that 
produces enough energy on site to offset its operating energy. So this home had a pre-HERS index or a pre-renewables HERS index of 37. That's quite difficult to get that low. And then you add renewables on it and this home came in at negative 34. So that means it is beyond net zero and one of the lowest scores I've ever worked on. So I think that to summarize, you know, it's a robust building envelope with high efficient mechanicals. The blower door test number, I know I don't have the numbers right off the top of my head. I think it's at least below 0.7 ACH and then it's natural ACH was extremely low. So we've got a robust thermal envelope, an airtight building enclosure, high performance mechanical systems and solar PV to offset those costs. And this is what you get. This is a, a smaller home, a simpler home with a simple floor plan as the homeowners had requested. And that allowed them to maximize the efforts that they put into the envelopes and the things that they put inside of it. And what they got was an award-winning home. Very nice. Adam, is there a link to this house or maybe just like a summary report, any PR, if someone wanted to get dig in a little bit deeper and see and visualize these things? There was a video put out by the utility after we were recognized for the award. And that's been the best thing I've been linking people too. And I'm happy to provide that after the podcast. Cool. Yeah. I'll put that in the show notes. Sticking with Adam here, Joe rattled off a great list of attributes. How easy was it to achieve those with say the existing trades in your area? You you do sound like you're in a relatively uh, small area. How easy was it to achieve with the trades? The thermal envelope stuff is primarily on our end as the small carpentry crew in terms of making sure the details are right, where air barriers meet or where your air sealing or where you're creating the cavity that's going to receive the insulation. We're lucky there and that we can drive it. Our insulator out of St. Johnsbury is phenomenal. I would, it's John Murphy runs Murphy Cell Tech and he knows far more than I and is usually steering me towards higher R values than those pretty good house values that we rattled off, which is very much, that's, my driving standard. It's straightforward and achievable, and that's what we go for. So with those two crews, it's easy. Working with plumbers and electricians, sheetrock installers, you often see, or it's a little bit of a thing of the past, but there was a while where everybody was trying to gasket their sheetrock or put beads of caulk in certain locations. And that's a tough sell for subcontractors that want to get in and out of there fast and know their job very well, such as the guys hanging sheetrock. A little harder with those. We'll have conversations beforehand to lay some of the groundwork. But of course, all those guys are on the team and we've worked together on many houses at this point. So it, it gets easier and easier again. But You'd mentioned before, like the time is in your worked in your favor at this point. There's been enough of this going on with you personally and your the teams and crews you use. Any kinds of compromises in construction that you felt either that took away from where the owners drove it or where you would like to have seen it gone go? We have plenty of compromises in the zone of reality, I guess I would call it, which is there are many of these, <laughs> uh, these products that you read the label and they're supposed to go on at over 40 degrees on a clean, dry surface. And in northern New Hampshire, that rules out about two thirds of your work days over the course of the year that we could be putting caulk on clean, dry framing at that temperature or something like that. We have plenty of those. And similarly, if you're out there on a 20 degree day, you, it's just harder to do as good a job with a roll of tape as you might do in the middle of the summer. So there are real compromises there, which is where a product like this aero barrier 
we'll probably get into talking about. But that's nice to catch some of the things that even I think very good carpenters are, they have to compromise. They meet with reality. <laughs> so with that kind of thing, design wise, again, I was pretty happy, thrilled with the philosophy or the values of the owners. They were generally willing to make the compromises needed in favor of being a durable, easy to take care of, and a very efficient building. But. I was thinking back to my situation and the listeners know I built a net, hopefully net zero home. We haven't gotten there yet because we're still ha- wrestling with some issues in the heating system, but the mine was built in a factory. So we were able to take a little bit more advantage of better weather year round. And, but I'd like to come, but I did have four modules, which had to come together versus a stick built house in the field. Everything's coming together right there. And you don't have these interfaces between large pieces of construction as much. But let's circle back to the arrow barrier topic, because I think that's a good one for people to learn a little bit about. Did you use it on this project? We did. We got really lucky, again, going back to John Murphy and his company, Murphy Celtech. But we already had a detailed air barrier using XO air on the outside and some membranes were appropriate, polyethylene under the swab, things like that. John's company was starting to gain expertise with Aero Barrier and wanted to do a training for the use of the product and offered to do it on this house. And we said, of course, let's do it. So Aero Barrier, to give a brief explanation, I think of it like the green goo that you put in your bike tires. I don't know if all your listeners are familiar with that, but you, it's literally kind of a slimy stuff with some fibers in it and you inject it into the bike tire and it's going to go to the spot that is leaking air and dam up that spot. Aero Barrier is an aerosolized caulk, basically, with some fibrous product in it that will find all the holes of a reasonably small size and plug them up. So we could watch, John had a blower door test running during this process, and you can watch the value dropping off as the Aero Barrier product finds the really quite small holes in the envelope that we had left at that point. So that's a neat thing. I've seen it in a recent article of Fine Home Building. It's getting fairly well publicized. And so far, our experience with it is only positive. There's a cool video from Matt Reisinger on the Build channel where he has a house in Texas and he has a piece of window screen on the door frame so that you can see, he put focuses a camera on it and you can see the arrow barrier clotting up. I liken it to platelets in the blood. The platelets go to where the leak is and they glom together and they seal the leak naturally. It's interesting, aero barrier has been around since, I want to say before 2000, and it went through some different ownership changes, including Carrier, and now is with a private company under really great management out of, I think, Cincinnati or Dayton, Ohio. So if people aren't familiar with it, A-E-R-O-B-A-R-R-E-R, it's a great product to do this finishing sealing aspect to get really great reduction in leakage. Not to sound like an advertisement, but we've been impressed with the low cost, honestly, when you compare it to the hours that would go into taping. And and I'm not yet sure if it actually replaces those hours. But as that finishing touch, it is uh, not a big increase. We just bid another one. We're working on a, a small house now. And the added cost of doing arrow barrier on a thousand square foot home is twelve, thirteen hundred dollars $1,300, something like that. I mean, it's just not a huge hit. For what? And it's got to be done at the right time, too, in, in construction. Yes. There would be plenty of things you could make a mess on, but less bad than I thought, honestly. <laughs> so. Just in case people, again, are heard something like this, there's also Aero Seal, 
which is used for duct leakage sealing. Similar kind of process, but this is with the envelope, the arrow, arrow barrier. Mm-hmm. Very good. So, Joe, if you could give us an idea of, maybe it's just naturally you, you sound like you're enthusiastic. What was the most fun you had on this project? I'd have to say working with Adam. This is, I think, was the second or third project I had been involved with Adam. And just his knowledge and his enthusiasm as a building energy consultant, as I'll deem myself, you want to make an impact on the built environment. But that takes an individual or a client who's equally interested in your efforts. That isn't always the case. There is a lot of demand for home building, and we work with a variety of clients. Some of those who just want to comply with code, and I want to help them, and it is to whatever degree I can move the needle and help them build better. But when you come across clients like Adam who have interested clients of his own, the, the homeowners, it actually makes my job a lot easier. Adam and I had a good amount of back and forth. He understands the building envelope, what I'm looking for. He understands Energy Star, right? I have these checklists of all these things that I need to inspect. And to have a client who already understands that, maybe not the nuances of it, but just the whole picture of what we're trying to do here. To me, that's what makes it fun. I feel like maybe my not my involvement, but how much I move the needle is smaller with a client like this because they've already know so much. But those little percentages, they add up. And to be able to support the efforts of Adam and his client with programs like we offer here in New Hampshire to help incentivize and take that incremental cost off. I like the direction that we're moving in here. Each year we get about 10 homes that are entering this net zero challenge. It's really exciting for me to see the built environment continue to push forward regardless of policy or pandemics or whatever else we have going on. This has been a very strong year for the building industry. And I'm just, I'm excited to see where things are going. I never in my wildest dreams thought I'd be on a podcast with you again for another award-winning house. So it's exciting. I think the culture in New Hampshire here is that work hard, play hard, live free or die, but make sure you build a good house. You're going to amend the state motto, I take it. That's Yes. (laughs) So it's been a pleasure working with Adam and other clients who want to build high-performance houses. And it just... I'm an active outdoor recreator, and I think part of that ties into my connection with the environment, and I understand how the built environment does impact that. And maybe it's a small thing that I'm improving for the environment, but I'm grateful for it, and I'm excited for the future. Very good. Adam, can you tell us, really, the bottom line is happy homeowners. Can you tell us a little bit, and not everything goes perfectly. Can you share with us, maybe gently share with us any details of things that didn't work out quite to plan? Yeah. And I appreciate the kind words from Joe that it only gets more and more fun as the team builds out. And like Joe said, we've worked together on a few and that helps. It's now sort of an early and good consultation in the process. But yes, happy homeowners. We work very closely with people. I didn't come up with the thought, but some builder in writing said, if you look at the professional in your life that you will spend the longest time with, it's not your lawyer or your doctor. It's typically your builder (laughs) for any person that's ever had a house built. You really log a lot of hours with these people. And you go through some pretty challenging conversations about a large chunk of their life savings in most cases. So that's something I almost front load with customers at this point that we're going to work together really closely for eight months, nine months, whatever it is. There'll be a time or two that we don't quite 
come down in exactly the same place on some trade-off or issue or something like that. So the, the concrete floor on this house was certainly a challenge. The homeowners like the look of the polished concrete floor, but that means you've got a finished floor from day one and concrete is notoriously not nearly as flat as a layperson might think concrete is. It's actually got a lot of waves and shape to it. We were fighting that one. That's kind of the biggest one that comes to mind, but there's always, almost every budget item is a trade-off. If budget were no object, you could just keep making things nicer and higher performance and, and all that. But you're always just trying to pick that spot where you stop. And that's where the, the hard conversations can be sometimes. So did the owners come to you and say, I want net zero, or they wanted to say, I want it to be all electric, or I just want to be environmentally responsible, help me? How did that go? I think they wanted a very low operating cost house and something that was so efficient and techy that they would be proud of it. They'd have fun showing it to their friends and feel like they had built a really good thing. I think net zero actually came into that conversation fairly late, that we were in the Energy Star program already. Joe kind of elbowed us and said, you tweak this one or two things and you're right in there in the net zero program. And we moved that direction. And of course, they were thrilled about that. But Okay. We're recording this on January 21st, 2021. And that is one day after the inauguration of a new president, a new administration, a new political party. What's your outlook? We'll first go to Adam and then to Joe. What's your outlook for the built environment in the light of changes that have happened in the government? I mentioned earlier, I used to teach sustainability and environmental science to high schoolers. And our sort of footprint on the planet is near and dear to my heart. So when President Biden yesterday signaled our intention to rejoin the Paris Climate Accords, that was just really wonderful news to me. And I think that attitude will trickle right down into the built environment in all kinds of ways. Certainly, renewable energy and renewable energy is a huge piece of the story. We heard Joe rattling off the numbers for our HERS rating before and after putting a good solar array on a house, it almost feels like cheating if you're trying to get the ERS rating where you want it. I'm optimistic. I <laughs> Certainly for myself, I yeah, it's just a sunnier day today than it was a couple of days ago. But. Very, very good. And I'm just going to add one little comment in there with solar allows you to do that cheat, but you definitely have to pair it with a system, the energy consumption system, the house, the mechanicals, yes. in order to enjoy the maximum benefit. So build it right and then power it renewably. But there should be a sequence, yeah. Joe, share with us your thoughts here. I'm excited, point blank. This is a new day, and every day is a new day. I think what drives this industry is the education and the outreach to the end user. Amidst a global pandemic and social unrest, our company had probably one of its best years. I mean, that is driven to some degree just by housing demand, but even with high performance houses, it's just been a solid year. That being said, I'm enthusiastic that there will be change. I've been an advocate for the environment, whether that be through outdoor recreation or high performance buildings or for future generations. We work and live in an area where the majority of our housing stock is hundreds of years old. There's opportunities to upgrade existing homes. I work primarily in the new construction consulting industry, but we've got a power sector, a power grid that needs to be upgraded and new buildings that are going to be built regardless, just due to high demand, whether that be through policy, through the stick or through carrots of rebates and incentives. I don't really care I just want to keep moving. I pride myself in my ability to 
engage with a client and their pain points. And I understand that cost is often a big pain point for my clients, primarily the builders and then the utility programs that I support. So as innovation continues to develop, heat pumps are becoming more efficient and more attainable. Solar renewables and PV and wind power, or costs are coming down. So while net zero may seem like this grandiose, unachievable thing, I think that with the right policies in place, we're moving the needle in the right direction. Policy aside, I think that this is going to be an industry that's going to continue to grow. And I'm just, I'm excited to be a part of it. I'm excited for the future tomorrow or for the next four years. Excellent. So I'd like to close by asking each of you in, in succession. First, we'll ask Adam and then Joe. I've picked up that Adam might have a hobby of bicycling and Joe of backpacking or hiking. Is that correct? Yes. <laughs> All right. So I'd like you to tell the listeners or describe the listeners the most interesting or unusual circumstance that was involved with your hobby. And first, Adam. I guess I'll just come up with a recent one, which kind of ties into these fun technology talks, which is I've been a, a road biker for years and done some cross-country trips and, and love them. And there are good stories there, but we got electric bikes for our family, which has been just really fun. So the other day, my daughter and I needed to pick up a moving van and drive it full of stuff to somewhere else. I forget exactly what the errand was, but we did this beautiful ride on the electric bikes through Franconia Notch and then put them in the back of the moving van and drove 80 miles away and loaded up what we were loading and dropped it off. It's fun to see that even on those most basic things, technology is going to keep bringing us some exciting developments. Very cool. And Joe, something that happened on your outdoor activities. I think whether it be biking, hiking, skiing, it's brought me to a lot of places throughout the country where I've engaged with other individuals who are care about the environment and outdoor sports. And you get to speaking with someone, whether it's in a pub after a bike ride or it's on the chairlift. And when I explain what I do, the faces that you get from some people, like I didn't even know that there were people out there trying to move this industry in the direction that it's from. It's somebody may be an accountant or a lawyer or a firefighter, and those are all fantastic jobs, but nobody really knew that you could make a living as a building energy consultant. And so I guess mine would just be the community that I've found in these certain organizations, whether they be locally. We have some great organizations throughout New Hampshire that are working on climate, but also working on preserving the outdoor industry as well as the national ones that are out there. So I think identifying a community, right, that's bigger than what I've been exposed to. So we're bigger than the sum of all of our parts. And understanding that there is a national group of people, I'm not alone fighting this battle alone. I think combating climate change is important to my generation in the future. And my trips from the West to the South, whether that, again, be skiing or some other outdoor pursuit has exposed me to an industry of or a community of individuals that otherwise I maybe never would have met. And it's created friendships and partnerships. And I'm grateful for that. I think we covered our topic here today. We're going to give the listeners their ears back unless either one of you have a closing comment to share. Joe? Yeah, sure. I just want to say one thank you, Bill. And thank you, Adam, for getting on here. Again, I think outreach and education is similar to word of mouth is the best way you're going to find a contractor, how we're going to get this publicity out there. I want to say this is achievable. I've been at this for about 10 years now. And I think so long as you develop a good team that buys into 
building an energy efficient house, designing it accordingly, inspecting it and verifying that you're getting everything that you want, that you can drive costs down and avoid unforeseen costs through the planning process. And that makes building a net zero house or just a high performance house or I began this industry thinking that energy efficiency drove everything else. And what I've found in the years leading up to this is that comfort, durability, and health and safety are more important to the homeowner. If they can save a couple dollars on their utility bills, great. But they want to make sure that their home's comfortable, that it's durable. There's not going to be mold or indoor air quality issues. Again, given this global pandemic that we're under and health and safety is an issue. And if you design a building to be comfortable, durable, and safe, energy efficiency is just going to be a byproduct of that. So to anybody out there who's looking to build a house or have clients that are building houses, it's not all about the BTUs, the kilowatt hours at the end of the day. It's about building a home that's going to make for a happy client. And I'm grateful for my role in it. I'm grateful to have worked with Adam and to be on this podcast to share with others. So it is achievable and good luck and Godspeed. Here we are in a new year. I'm happy for the future. Actually, I want to share a couple thoughts here that triggered in me. We listeners probably know we have a high performance home, which I actually call a personalized performance home because it sort of messes with the loading order that a lot of people have. And it boils down performance into something that the individuals want. And we're lucky enough to be able to have built a custom home to do this. But for us, the aesthetic was really important. And then the comfort and then health and safety or indoor air quality then durability and energy efficiency was at the bottom of the list, but we knew we could make it. All those other things just put you into alignment with all those factors. The other quick story I wanted to share is, I believe a lot in what we've talked about here is this communication, sharing the story, sharing the information. One thing that propelled me to talk more about our home as we were building it to create this blog, home.com, was we would go to breakfast with relatives every Saturday morning. And we talked about the fact that we were thinking about a passive house. And it wasn't like the major topic of conversation. But about three or four days later, my sister-in-law calls me up and said, I'm sitting here trying to explain to someone what a passive house is. Can you please tell me that again? Just give me like five or six points. And it's like, oh, wow. She wasn't even interested in this, but she is passing this kind of interesting topic on to someone else. So I encourage all these grassroots conversations. I was at a Habitat X conference a few years ago and I stole a line from Chandler Von Schrader who talked about giving someone a virus. And this is like really bad timing to talk about this now, but it's if you can like share this little tidbit of information with one, say person, one professional every day, just think about the multiplier effect. You don't know where it's going to land. And again, the virus analogy is absolutely horrible at this point in time. But think about the good kind of virus of these concepts that can be shared. So I will give the listeners their ears back. And I want to thank Adam and Joe for joining us here today in the Building HVAC Science Podcast. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Bill. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode about the New Hampshire Saves Net Zero Home Challenge with Joe Rando and Adam Nyborg. There are a lot of other trade-related resources and influencers, including HVACR School with Brian Orr, who, by the way, got me into podcasting. Brian works with Caleb Salibi, Zach Ciota of HVAC Shop Talk, Stephen Rarden, the HVAC Reefer Guy, Mike Mayberry, Brent and Billy on the Tool Pros podcast and Instagram, 
and Service Business Mastery by Tersh, HVAC Overtime, HVACR Videos, and also Grace and Corbett Lunsford of HomeDiagnosis.tv, which by the way is the first TV show on home performance. And of course, Jim Bergman on the MeasureQuick YouTube channel and many other locations and resources. I also host the ResTalk podcast where you can learn more about how residential energy ratings tie into the changing world of home energy ratings and all these peripheral topics. If you like what you heard today and you've not yet subscribed, please consider doing so by typing Building HVAC Science into the search bar of your podcast app and subscribe. Here's a quote for today. Talent wins games, but teamwork and intelligence wins championships. That's by Michael Jordan. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Building HVAC Science, please email me at bill at truetechtools.com. The Building HVAC Science podcast is a production of True Tech Tools Limited. In full disclosure, I'm a co-owner of TrueTech, and the opinions voiced are those of my guests or myself. If you're looking for any tools or test instruments mentioned in our podcast or alluded to, take a look at what TrueTech Tools, T-R-U-T-E-C-H-T-O-O-L-S.com carries. You can use the code, the offer code, HVACBS for a nice discount. I want to thank you for listening to this podcast and hope you come back again to listen to future podcasts. Take care. Thank you.